0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Coach Baseball Right podcast. I'm your host and founder of Coach Baseball Right, Steve Niccolaratt. Join us as we go inside, outside, and all around baseball, discussing how to coach baseball the right way. Hi, everybody. This is Steve Niccolaratt with Coach Baseball Right. Coach Baseball Right is really excited to announce our administrator and lead coach certification program in St. Louis, Missouri, the weekend of September 27th, 28th, and 29th. As educators who are focused on best educational and up-to-date practices, we're trying to help administrators and lead coaches create an environment that will transform the baseball experiences of their players and parents. During the certification, administrators and lead coaches will be taught every aspect of baseball that they will need to know and how to execute coaching with in-depth analysis and educational resources. The weekend schedule starts on Friday night and continues all day on Saturday with a social event in the evening. On Sunday morning, we focus on giving administrators and lead coaches an action plan to leave and execute. Now what's a coach going to get by participating in this event? over 11 hours of direct instruction. You're gonna receive Coach Baseball Right Lifetime Hall of Fame membership, Coach Baseball Right coaching gear. You'll receive one ticket to the September 28th, 2019 St. Louis Cardinals Chicago Cup Baseball game and food and drink provided during the certification program as well. We'll be hosting and we'll be staying at the Hampton Inn suites right across from Forest Park and other attractions near that might be of interest would be Forest Park itself and the St. Louis Zoo, downtown St. Louis and Busch Stadium home of the St. Louis Cardinals and you're just minutes away from some great cafes, bars and restaurants located on The Hill, Dogtown, The Loop and the Central West End. I hope everyone can join us for a wonderful weekend September 27th, 28th, 29th in St. Louis for our administrator and lead coach certification program. Hope to see you there. In today's Coach Baseball Right podcast, we talk with Mike Candrea, longtime head softball coach at the University of Arizona. Mike's been at the University of Arizona for 34 years. He is the Division I wins leader in NCAA softball history. Mike's teams have won eight national championships and appeared in 22 College World Series. And he's been the National Coach of the Year four times. In this interview, we're going to talk about Mike's impressive resume, the difference between coaching young men and young women, college softball recruiting, hitting fundamentals, and the state of youth softball today in terms of the number of games played versus the number of practices. We also will talk a little bit about coaching certification. Stay tuned and enjoy our interview with Mike Candrea. Hi, everybody. We are here with Mike Kendrea, head softball coach at the University of Arizona. Mike, thanks so much for being on the Coach Baseball Right podcast.
1: Well, thanks, Steve. It's uh, very. Um, I look forward to getting together with you and talk a little bit about softball.
0: Hey, Mike, our Coach Baseball Right program is all about helping organizations, coaches, and parents transform baseball, softball experiences and developments. We started this podcast to allow our listeners to hear different perspectives on coaching baseball and softball the right way. So with that being said, let's go ahead and jump in. Um, I want to go over this this resume here just for a second so 34 years at the University of Arizona head coach division one wins leader uh, in NCAA softball history you have won 79 percent of your games eight national championships 22 college World Series appearances 11 conference championships national coach of the year four times head coach of Team USA's medal-winning teams in 2004 and 2008. And in 2017, you were inducted into the National Softball Hall of Fame. Wow. That, my friend, is quite impressive. Uh, what do you attribute your success to?
1: Well, I think a lot of it is just the passion for what I do. You know, um, growing up as a young kid, I always had a passion for the bat and ball game. And as a as a player... Um, and then, as a uh, finally, as a coach, um, I've always told people I've never worked a day in my life because I've followed my passion and I'm doing what I love to do. So I feel pretty blessed to be able to have been on a softball field or baseball field since I was five years old.
0: That's, that's awesome. I, I, I can tell you I feel the same way in terms of, of uh, my coaching. Um, let, me, let me ask you this. Can you can you tell your our listeners just a bit about your playing background and maybe how you got started in coaching in the first place?
1: Yeah, I mean, I um, like I said, I grew up. My dad was a jazz musician, so we. I grew up in New York, and then I was actually born in New Orleans. And um, he he died a very frustrated man because he had four kids and none of us had any musical talent. Um, but and he was very accomplished. Uh, played with Les Brown, Duke Ellington, big bands. Um, but baseball was, um, you know, always something that I really enjoyed uh, playing, and uh, it, it kind of started in New Orleans where, you know, you get done with school and you grab all your friends, go down the end of the street. We used to take our lawnmowers and and make a diamond in the pasture that's down at the end of the street, and we used to play and play and play, and that's kind of how I learned how to play the game, actually, through uh, playing catch and playing wiffle ball and all the things that young kids don't do today and um so i played uh it, it was fairly accomplished until um i had elbow surgery my freshman year in college so i i went to a junior college central arizona college um uh, because back then they had two drafts they had a january draft and a june draft and um i i really felt like i had an opportunity to maybe play some pro ball but it never worked out, but I knew once I got hurt that I, I I wanted to do something. I wanted to teach and coach, and so I was very fortunate to be uh, able to walk into an assistant coaching position at Central Arizona College for a guy named Kenny Richardson, and um, really the first five years that I was there um, really kind of set the foundation for my coaching philosophies because I had a chance to go to... The ABCA convention and um, listened to a lot of the great coaches at Division One and, and junior college. We had a great group of coaches there in Arizona to learn from. And and it was about um, I want to say 1982. Um, our AD at the time, George Young, walked into my office and said, "Hey, Mike, I need your help." And I go, "What's that?" He goes, "I need you to coach the women's softball team." And I go, "George." Said, I don't want to coach women. I said, I, I don't want to coach softball. I'm a baseball coach. He goes, well, there's this you know, thing called Title IX, and we're going to be putting some money into the program. Can you do it just for a year for me? And um, I said, well, you know, this will give me an opportunity to see if I – what I feel I know uh, I can implement with a group of kids. And so it was my first opportunity to be a head coach. I uh, took the program over. And um, after the first year, I said, dang, if I go find a pitcher, we can win this thing. So I went out and recruited a pitcher by the name of Connie Clark. And Connie uh, just retired as the head coach at the University of Texas. But she was my very first um, recruit uh, in softball and uh, was a pretty darn good one. Uh, She went on to Cal State Fullerton and won a national championship there. Uh, But that was kind of the beginning of my softball career. And... Um, won a couple of championships at uh, Central Arizona College and then um, in 1985 got an opportunity to come to the University of Arizona where I've been ever since.
0: So who would you say, um, what people have influenced you the most in terms of your coaching career? Well,
1: you know, there was a, a lot of people. Um, you know, my brother, I think, obviously was one in particular. Uh, Nick was a uh, a baseball coach in uh, the Phoenix area for 30-plus years, and now he's coaching a junior college in uh, Paradise Valley. Uh, but he was the one that really – I kind of grew up and watched him play play the game, and he used to drill ground balls at me in the backyard and um, good, good athlete. Um, but um, from there I got a chance to really um, – be shaped by a lot of different people. And I go back to being able to coach with Kenny uh, Richardson, a uh, very good baseball mind, um, Jim Fry at Mesa Community College, um, Gary Ward at Yavapai who went on to Oklahoma State. Um, uh, we, we had some really good people in the junior college system. And then um, when I got into the Division One level, I was able to watch... Um, Jerry Kendall and Jim Wing and Jerry Stitt at the University of Arizona, um, Jim Brock at ASU. And you know, I I used to be able to pick and choose from everyone a little bit, um, because I think one of the most important things is being yourself, so you can't try to be someone else. But um, everyone, um, if you keep your ears open, can maybe give you one little nugget of information that can help you mold your own philosophy.
0: Yeah, those names you mentioned, those are some, some pretty special people in uh, yes, baseball, baseball absolutely. ranks. Hey, Al, how about your transition uh, when you went from baseball to softball? What What challenges did you face?
1: Well, I, the most obvious was the size of the field, you know. I mean, 60-foot bases. Uh, um, the pitcher's mound when I first started was at 40 feet. We were throwing a white ball with white seams, so, you know, trying to reach spin is, was impossible. Um one thing I realized very quickly is we had less time um, to make decisions in softball. Uh, and the influx of speed and the short game um, were, were quite obvious. And so the first thing I did when I got into softball is I went out and watched what I felt was the very best level of play, and that was the men's uh, world championships. And the one thing I noticed there was their um, – The the base running and the speed of the game and, um, you know, pitching was very overpowering when I first started um, coaching softball because we were at 40 feet and we were using an aluminum bat. Um, So, you know, the most home runs you would see in a season for one of our kids would be maybe four or five. Um, And to watch the game progress, we moved the mound back to 43 feet. We put the, the optic yellow ball in their hand. And now the equipment that we use um, is, you know, unbelievable. And so now we have kids that are hitting anywhere from, you know, 10 to 15 to 20 home runs. But the biggest difference I always saw in the game was was the, um, the speed, um, both offensively and defensively. Offensively, obviously, the bunting, the short game. Um, very, very important part of the game, and then the pressure that that puts on the defense. So, in, defensively, you have to be quick, but you have to be efficient, and being able to get rid of the ball, and uh, and then the base running because uh, you know if someone bobbles the ball, you should be able to get another base. And so it was. It took me a while because when I first started playing it, I'm going, well, you know, why are these people bunting? Can't they hit? <laughs> and then I realized, you know, I was the the dummy. I needed to kind of figure out how the game was really played, because there there are some nuances that are different. But truthfully, the game itself, the fundamentals um, are, are exactly the same, and I think that's what helped me is the background that I had in teaching the fundamentals, breaking down the game, um, developing a good practice that was efficient, productive, you know, and um, and then I thought I had a, a step up on recruiting because I had done some recruiting in junior college, and, um, you know, when I first got into softball, even in the early 80s, you know, you're talking about, um, you know, there was, we, we played on a rec field and and probably averaged 200 people, where now, if you saw our stadium today, it, you know, it's, on you know ten million dollar facility, and, and you're averaging three three thousand people every time you walk out there.
0: Hey, what's the difference between coaching uh, young men and young women?
1: <laughs> well, I always said this, and um, I said men men have to play good to feel good. Women have to feel good to play good. And I've always that's always resonated in my mind that you know a big part of coaching women is you have to be in tune to their emotions and you have to make sure that um, that they feel good about themselves. And guys, on the other hand, you know, will do it in spite of you. And um, so I, I really believe that was one little um, tidbit that I kind of lived by for many years. And as I share that with people, you know, when I go out and talk, um, you know, many of them look at that and say that applies to about everything in life.
0: Yeah, so let's talk uh, for a second about recruiting. Um, how does the softball world? What, what, what's the recruiting like? Is it similar to the baseball? How's it different?
1: Well, I think it's different. I mean, base—you know—baseball has. Um, I think high school is still a very viable part of the recruiting process. The area code games. I mean, there's it, there's some similarities, but in softball, um, our primary resource to recruit athletes come from summer travel ball teams so we um you know since we're playing in uh february march april may which is the high school season mostly everywhere um we we can't be at two places so we tend to, to go to um you know the the big tournaments in colorado and um Huntington Beach and Hammett and um, you know there, there there's a there's there's some tournaments that you're going to see some of the the best players in one one place. Um now that has grown over the years. I think there's a lot of parity around the country and those tournaments used to be in California but now you'll 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 see very good tournaments in Texas and the Midwest and Florida and the East Coast. So um, our summers are very busy. We do a lot of traveling to and um, in, in over the years, I have developed relationships with coaches at the travel ball level that I can trust and and uh, know that they uh, are going to shoot square with me about a kid and a kid's character and and some of the intangibles that you don't get a chance to see and so that's that's our really our stopping ground is that is the travel ball team. And the travel programs, and you know, in the summer, uh, at the end of the summer in August, PGF uh, has a national tournament where everyone is just about there that plays the game.
0: You know, we have some some younger coaches. I'm sure that'll be listening to this podcast. Can you uh, can you articulate why it's so important for those coaches to to shoot to shoot square, or shoot straight with you when they're talking about kids? What yeah. what happens if they didn't?
1: Right, well, it's very simple I mean the the there's people that I trust and people that I don't trust in it and and I think at times um sometimes young coaches uh, especially in travel ball are trying to market their kids and trying to make a name by how many kids they can send the to the to, to schools well the the tough part is when if i if I get bad information one time, then I'm probably not going to go back to that well, you know, so um I want to make sure that number one, I'd build a relationship with the the coach, and number two, that they will shoot square with me about things that are really things that I can't really see on the field. You know, the intangibles, the character, the work ethic. Um, what kind of teammate are they? Um, you, you know, how how do they handle uh, pressure? And how do they handle failure? And, and the... You know, if when when someone is honest with me, then and, and then I make a choice because of what I've seen, then I can live with it. But if someone sells me a bill of goods, then I'm probably not going to ever go back to that program again, and that may hurt a lot of other kids that may want an opportunity to go to the University of Arizona.
0: So it's really important for all of our coaches to remember to to do it the right way when they're talking to coaches, and and uh, and to try to make sure that the the truth is always better than than possibly uh, the stretch. And uh, yeah. long-term, it's going to be really important for the next kid. Absolutely. So what, what suggestion would you have for a, a mom or a dad wanting to position their daughter for a chance to play, you know, at the next level?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think the first thing um, is it's a process. And so... Um, You know, it's like I just, I I told you, I said, you know, my dad was a great jazz musician, but unfortunately his kids did not follow his footsteps. And sometimes um, you see a couple of things. You see parents that are living their athletic life through their kids or parents that aren't realistic with their kids' abilities because I really feel that there's a place for everyone. It's just finding the right place. And... Not every kid is meant to be at the Division One level and and playing at a major college. There's, um, you know, that's the reason why we have the mid-majors and we have junior colleges. I mean, if you love playing the sport, it's just really finding the right experience because at the end of the day, you're going to get the same thing, and that's an education. And right. So foremost, I think that's it, you know. And um, I think parents need to realize that if they're, number one, they need to do homework, Um When they're looking at schools and I would look at schools based upon what what's going to be the best fit for my kids both academically athletically and socially Um, and you know that's the first question I always ask is if it wasn't for softball would you be at the University of Arizona you know and of course softball is a big part of that decision but I think too many times parents just don't do the homework because they get caught up into the glitz and the glamour and you know the the visits and and um, you know I I always tell them is and I'm so glad that we've changed our rules to now where we can't talk to a kid till their junior year in high school um, September one of their junior year because for a while we were we were. Um, recruiting 7th and 8th and ninth graders and we had them on campus all the time and you know I'd sit in my office talking to a, a an 8th grader and her parents and the parents would be doing all the talking. It was almost like they're the ones that were trying to get recruited and it, it was not a good situation I think for our sport and for the development of our kids uh, it didn't give them an opportunity to do their homework um they were picking a college before they even knew where they were going to high school. That doesn't make sense. No. And, um, you know, I think picking your, your, your college, um, is probably the second most important thing a young lady is going to do. The first one, of course, being their, um, their husband, you know, for the future. And so I, I think parents need to really understand that if you got to let the process kind of take care of itself. If the kid's good enough, number one, make sure they're playing on a good competitive team in the summers because you're going to have to go where the coaches are. So if you want your kid to be seen, then you better find out what are the tournaments that they're at and what are the teams that are um, competing in those tournaments. And then the next step for me is I want to watch kids that are competing for national championships. I want, I, you know, I want the top of the pyramid. So, I not only want them to be playing in the summer, but I want them to be playing for good programs that are going to help them develop and give them a competitive schedule, so that hopefully they have a chance to play for a national championship. So when they get into college, they've done it. You know, you can't, you can't teach experience. Right. So the more more experience they get, the easier it is for me.
0: Okay, hey, what what things do you expect your players to know by the time they reach your program?
1: Well, you would hope that they have the number one the proper skill set. So, um, I would hope that kids come here and know why they do what they do. <laughs> they 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 can connect the dots. They 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 have a little bit of knowledge about why they swung the bat the way they swing it. They have a little bit of knowledge about how, why they throw the way they throw. They, I want kids that are um, um, students of the game, that that have you know ha, that have a pretty good database of how to play the game, and be able to think the game, and then and then you go into the character part and the, you know the teammate part and um, the ability to handle failure. I mean, there's a lot of little pieces to the puzzle that you got to have, but normally when they get here, they they have to have the right skill set. And they have, you know, and truthfully, if, uh, character is a big part for me because I know that I can, if I can take good people and make them better players, but it's hard to, to take people that aren't good people and make them better players.
0: What, um, you see a lot of, of youth softball, high school softball, club softball, and you're recruiting. What things are the youth coaches not emphasizing early enough? Well,
1: the, the, you know, I think youth coaches, uh, to the most part, do a pretty good job, and, and I think parents need to realize that these people don't get paid. So um, you, you, you have to give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. So, I, you know, I think they treat kids well, to the most part. I think they try to teach the game um, and develop their players, to the most part. But the one, the one area that I'm seeing more than anything right now is that they They play way too many games and practice not enough. So the development, I think, is a little bit stifled. You know, they they always say that you should practice five times for every one game you play. And I know at the college level, we definitely do that. We practice a lot more than we play. But in the summer months, they may practice one day in a week and, and, and play six games or seven games in a weekend. And so I think sometimes we're... We're losing that development stage. And then the other thing I I think that we can do a better job is is teaching our kids how to compete. Um, I think we're kind of hopefully getting out of this exposure mentality um, that we go back to playing games that mean something. There's a winner and there's a loser. And a lot of times I get kids that have have played very few seven-inning games because they're so used to time limit games. So that's the one area I would want us to think about is, you know, are we really getting them prepared for college? Then, you know, we should be playing competitive games that are seven innings, and at the end of the day, there's a winner or a loser. I used to love watching the double elimination tournaments and watch the teams that crawled out of the loser's bracket and were playing the last day.
0: I think a a lot of coaches are on that that I have that idea of uh, too many, too many games at the youth level and not enough quality practices. Right. Right. Hi everybody, Steve Nicola with Coach Baseball Right. If you are considering how to improve your organization, facility, or league, consider our Organizational League Facility Certifications. These certifications are extremely affordable and you can choose from three different levels. Level one is our most affordable certification that starts with just your administrator getting access to our pro membership resources. And then all of your coaches can be put on the same page by using our rookie membership resources. Level two certification gets all your coaches in your entire organization using our pro membership resources together. Level two will help your coaches teach and develop consistently throughout your program. And Level 3, everyone in your organization, all administrators, all coaches, all parents, all get on the same page with access to our pro membership. Level 3 will completely transform your baseball program. Plus, we'll provide year-long follow-up for support, strategies, and ideas to help you and your organization maximize and use these certifications. If you're asking how you can make a difference for your organization, league, or facility, Consider these organizational certifications Hey, let's talk hitting for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, how How do you teach hitting in your program uh, as a typical practice you know what what does hitting what does it look like?
1: Well um, you know that's a that's a very big topic. Um, you know the question to me is um, can you know when you go out and recruit are you recruiting good hitters and trying to make them better? Or are you re- recruiting kids that you're going to have to develop as hitters? And at our level, we hopefully are recruiting kids that that have pretty good hand-eye coordination, that that are proficient at making good contact. And our job is to try to refine them. And a lot of the refinement is the the mental part, um, you know, having a game plan, um, being able to sit on a particular speed, and um, you know, the strategies of of matching up with a particular pitcher. But To be honest with you, uh, if you came and watched us, um, most kids, you're going to see a lot of variety in the stance. Number one, um, the stance is kind of your start, and any way that you want to start is up to you. That's why you see open stance, closed stance, square stance, feet together, feet apart, hands high, hands low. Um, The key is to be able to make an athletic move to get to the hitting position on time. And so one of the – I mean, that's the the most important thing to me is when I get to the hitting position or I get the toe touch is what we call it, um, are we in a position that we can cover the particular pitches that we're looking for, whether it's are we looking inside and adjusting away, are we looking high and adjusting low, are we looking fast and adjusting
0: slow? But in order to
1: do that, you have to make sure that you have pressure between your knees, you're in a good athletic position that you can either start or stop your swing because most good hitters are always swinging until they stop their swing. So I don't really care. I mean, once you get to the toe touch to the hitting position, then everyone pretty much should look identical. Okay. So hitting is a combination of a linear move from stance to, to toe touch or the hitting position. And then from the time the heel gets down, we call it heel plant, Um, hitting becomes rotational and so you have to be able to combine those two moves and you know the I think the one thing I learned from the Olympic team was they had great eyes well maybe those great eyes are the reason why they were good hitters and so uh, the one thing we try to do is get our kids to have an eye exam first off make sure they've got good eyes and healthy eyes they have good depth perception and then the mechanics of the swing we try to um keep as natural as we can, because hitting is a kinetic link, and you're trying to unwind from the bottom up and as long as you're unwinding from the bottom up, then you have a chance to be able to connect with this round object that's coming at you and uh if you're If you don't have the proper sequencing, then hitting becomes very difficult for a lot of different reasons so we wanna be on time, we wanna hit through a long zone, you know, and um and then the key to hitting for us is being able to make adjustments from pitch to pitch.
0: Do uh do you practice an approach in your batting practice routine with the kids making choices? How how do you how does that look uh in yeah. BP?
1: Yeah, so if you came out and watched us a uh, practice, you're gonna see in our batting cages we the, the, the primary drills that you will see every day are going to be long tee work. Um, so we're, we're just working on trying to to um, get to different positions, whether it's an inside pitch or an outside pitch or a pitch down the middle, but staying through it. So we want to see the ball fly and try to hit backspin line drives to the back of the net. Um, you'll see short tee work uh, where we do some um, small bat work with one-handed drills, bottom-hand, top-hand um and we do a lot of head-on toss Uh, we do a lot of off-centered head-on toss um and then we do a lot of live i mean that's i think the big thing about hitting is that number one you don't hit off a tee in a game so somewhere along the line you have to be able to give these kids as much live arm as you can because the key is to be on time the key is timing and um the key is rhythm, and the key is being able to let the ball travel. And then in batting practice, then we definitely try to set up situations, um, you know, each round that they've hit. So we may do a pull round where they're looking for a pitch that they can pull, and that can vary from hitter to hitter, right? And then we'll do a, an oppo round where they're looking for something they can stay inside of and go the other way. Uh, we may go, um, we're going to, mix in the change, and you're going to take the change, and so you're going to sit on the speed, and then we may work on like a two-strike approach. Now now here's a change that you have to hit. You have to follow it off. You have to get rid of it, or you have to hit it. So there's a lot of things that you can do in batting practice to kind of get them to start thinking, you know, what's going to happen in the game and how you're going to have to think in the game.
0: Is there uh, any difference at all between teaching the swing and baseball and softball?
1: Absolutely not. Um, one thing I will say the swing itself, um, it, a good swing is a good swing, whether it's a baseball swing or it's a softball swing. So in that regard, I would say the mechanics of the swing are exactly identical. The difference obviously is the release point of the pitcher. You know, a, a In baseball, they're on a mound, and they're throwing from above their head, so mostly everything's coming down or across. Softball, you're on flat ground, and you're throwing from your hips, so everything's going up. So I would say that the one thing that is overemphasized sometimes, uh, launch angle in softball to me is not that important because a lot of times you have to be able to stay on top of pitches. And if you're gonna hit a rise ball, you can't be trying to hit swing up. You know, you have to really try to get on plane of that pitch and and try to hit a ground ball with it. And so there's some subtle differences I think with hitting a softball, um, more the approach, um, but not so much the mechanics. Um and I hope that makes sense to you. Because yeah, you know that's why Jenny Finch can go throw to some major leaguers and they can't touch her because their database doesn't have that number one hand coming from the hip and the ball going up. You know, they you're not used to seeing that as a baseball player. And,
0: when 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 the ball crosses the plate in softball, is it is it is it still going up? Is it is it level down? Is it slightly going down?
1: Um, no, it depends on the pitch. Okay. So that's the thing about softball. You can throw the ball on four different planes. So, you know, you can throw a ball that at the plate that goes down. You can throw a ball at the plate that goes up. Um, you can throw a, a pitch that breaks into the right-handed hitter, or a screwball. Or you can throw a curveball that breaks away. You know, so that's one of the unique things is you can throw the ball north, south, east, and west, and then you take a – and think about this, if you've got a 70-mile-an-hour pitcher, a 68-mile-an-hour pitcher, you know, you're talking about someone in baseball equivalent of 100-plus. You don't have a lot of time. And so the, the, the tough part is hit, pitchers will get you out either with speed, location, movement, or deception. And the off-speed pitch in softball can be devastating. Because it's hard for you to sit on a 68-mile-an-hour pitch and all of a sudden they throw a pitch that looks exactly the same and it's going 58 or 57. And so that's the important part of our game is, is um, you know, you have to be able to cover a lot of different things. And you can't really cover everything, so you got to kind of pick your poison.
0: Right. So let's, uh, let's change the direction just for a second. A, a coach at your level uh, – when you, Do you do much scouting of your opponents? Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> yes, we do.
0: And what do you Definitely. look for?
1: You know, that's the one thing that's changed in our game because of the, um, the coverage on television and the Internet and, you know, games that are streamed. And, you know, you have companies like Flow Softball that do a lot of productions of games. And so it's not hard to go on the computer and look on, Uh, youtube or flow softball or any of those and 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 see games that our opponents have played in the past so we try to watch as many of that Um, we have a system that we use um, that capture games at our stadium um, that break down the film so that you can move through it very quickly but um, yeah, we're we're going to sit there and we're going to look at tendencies. We have some analytics that we look at um, from um, a player's career, uh, what their numbers look like, what does their spray chart look like. And then we put together a scouting report that we feel, based upon our pitching, um, that we can simplify and dummy down for our kids so that all they have to do is look at a – a little card and see whether a kid can, you know, whether they can run. Do they bunt? Do they steal? Can they run? Do they, can they hit with power? Uh, how we're going to play them, you know, and um, and I think over the years i found that if I you can keep it simple, then you're probably better off. But but the work that my assistants do throughout the week, I'm watching a lot of video and coming up with, a, you know, a game plan for the pitchers that we're going to face. Um, and then, of course, our pitching coach, looking at their hitters and trying to decide how they're going to attack these different hitters, and there's a lot of work that goes into it.
0: Hey, Mike, what's the most challenging part of coaching softball at, at Arizona?
1: Well, I, for me, it's just the there's a built-in challenge, and that's the 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 expectations are so high, you know, and, and I got no one to blame but myself for that. You know, we've, um, we, we, we have won a lot and we have spoiled our fans a lot, uh, but therefore they expect excellence all the time. So sometimes they don't really understand the process and, and maybe they don't understand that, uh, there are going to be times when you're going to go through some growing pains, um, they expect every team to be um, mature and polished and and ready for battle all the time. Um, and so, I think sometimes the 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 only thing that that I sometimes get um, upset about are people that really don't know um, what's going on. And and you know, in today's world with social media, you can pop off and. No one knows who you are. Um, I don't mind them popping off about the program, but when they start popping off about a kid, it hurts me. So that's, you know, the one thing that's really changed in our sport and in my job is is trying to um, find a balance between that between social media and, and allowing people into your program, but not so much that um, they can take pot shots at kids.
0: What about uh what about uh, the state of youth, youth softball in the, in the US? I mean, what would you like to see any changes made to the to the game?
1: Uh, you know, I I think the one thing about softball is uh we have so many factions out there. We have um different groups that are kind of doing their own thing and um it, it would be nice if everyone was on the same page. I mean, if I had my perfect world, you know, we would have a youth program that is all under one big umbrella, and you would you would go up to the ranks, and within that umbrella um, is, you know, the the 12 and under, 10 and under, 12 and under, 14s, 16s, 18s. The one area that we don't have anymore is the kid in college. If they're not on our national team, they got nowhere to play, and we used to have the women's open division, which was very popular at one time. Um, and then, um, you know, trying to get everyone on the same page with our professional league and our, our national teams. I mean, there's so many people um, that have a piece of that pie. Um, sometimes I don't think that we're all rowing the boat the same way, and we need to.
0: How, um, how can we continue to improve coaching? at the youth and high school levels. What 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 do you suggest to a high school or a youth level coach to improve their skill set?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I think um, clinics are really good to go to. I mean, the, the educational piece, um, you know, whether it's coaches clinics, whether it's, um, you know, working different camps, um, bringing in speakers, whatever it may be. But I think there's gotta be an educational piece um, to our coaches, so there's in that regard, there's got to be a certification. Um, I, I think there's a lot of things that we have to think about when we allow kids or we allow coaches to work with kids, especially in today's world. And so, um, we want to make sure that they have the proper knowledge of, of not only the tactical um, part of the game. You know, being able to teach the skills, being able to break down the skills. Uh, but also being able to handle um, groups of people, uh, young people, um, to make sure that they are safe and they are in a good environment. Because I think sometimes we, we, I've always said that there's, if if you have a very high challenge and a low skill level, kids get frustrated. And vice versa, if you have a very, high skill level and a low challenge, they get bored. And so that's something I always think about all the time. And if you look at our our coaching development, I think many a times we, we don't force coaches to continue their education. I mean, I learn something every day. And I'll listen to anyone talk about the game. And the day that I feel like I know everything is the day that I better quit. And so I would like to be able to to infuse some of that to our coaches today to say you know what I wish we had and there's a lot of things now on on YouTube and the internet that they can look at but you know how how much of it is good information and how much of it is bad information because you know information is power and whether it's good or bad you know it can it it can affect you and I know um, we have tried to have a certification program, and there still is one, um, but it's very basic, and I think, I think that's a module that we really need to, to work on, both in baseball and softball, um, that helps our youth coaches have the tools to be able to work with young kids and develop their skills, and also have a process that's fun and productive.
0: Yeah, we've been trying to think about that here at Coach Baseball, right? And we actually will have in September our first uh, certification program. And one of the things that we want to talk about is is exactly the idea of teaching coaches how to teach the game, you know, how to how to teach a larger skill with sub-skills. Because mm-hmm. a drill on the Internet is great, but sometimes your kids, they can't do that drill. Right. They need the sub-skills to do that, you know. So uh, that's something I hope that we can We can maybe attack down the road here. Um, What would you tell me is the most important thing you do for your players as their coach at the University of
1: Arizona? Um, They know that I care about them as an individual. I don't think it has anything to do with the game. I think it's how I treat them. So it's that relationship, that mutual respect, that honesty. Um, But at the end of the day, they know that I care about them as an individual because and one thing great about softball is that you know it's going to come to an end for everyone, and um, so we spend as much time preparing our kids for life after softball uh, as we do preparing them for softball while they're playing for the next you know four years.
0: Hey, Mike, have you given uh, much thought to what comes after after your coaching career? Um,
1: well, I know it's. It's coming sooner than later. <laughs> you know, it's 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 um, not because I don't love the game and and um, am tired of the game. It's just that it's a game that that you need, um, you know, you need lots of of energy and lots of time. And and you know, there's a time in everyone's life that you want to be able to spend more time with your 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 own kids and your your wife and enjoy some of the things that you've missed, because being a professional coach, the one thing I don't like about it is that you spend more time with other people's kids than your own. And um, so there's a, a really a tough lesson that I had to learn about trying to balance my life, you know. Um, I remember my in in the early 90s, I was coaching the national team, getting ready for the Olympic Games in 96, and had won a couple of championships already at Arizona and came home from a trip. And my son at the time was a high a high school sophomore. I walked in the house after been gone a month and he said, dad, can we talk? And I go, yeah, he goes, um, would you consider dropping out of the USA coaching pool so you can watch me play baseball? Wow. And that hit me with a ton of bricks, you know, and it, um, it made me realize that, you know, number one, I said, Michael, you know, it's done. I mean, I, I, I will, you just you just gave me a big wake up call and so i ended up dropping out of the coaching pool and i watched i actually coached michael for the next 3 summers in baseball but my i think trying to create balance is the hardest thing when you want to be really good at something because you know when you want to be good at something you got to be obsessed with it um but on the other hand um in life i think over a long period of time you know it's it you have to find that balance between your family and your profession and and for me my 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 spirituality my faith is very important to me and you know sometimes i wonder what are we teaching kids when we're having uh tournaments every sunday morning um you know there's some elements of our profession that just sometimes i i question you know um, what are we really teaching young kids, and and what are really important in life? Because I think we all know as we get older what's important. But unfortunately, when you're coaching full time, you know I, I love what I do, and uh, but you know what I, I I would love someday to to be able to spend more time with my my kids and watch my grandkids play, and that's what will get me out of the game. You know, it's not because I'm tired of the game. I will love this game forever, and hopefully I'll stay in it some way, somehow, which I'm sure I will. Um, I always, I see myself doing something. I'm not a sit-on-the-couch-and-watch-TV guy. Uh, You can only play golf so many times a week. You know, that's one thing I do know about probably the most difficult game I've ever played was golf. Um, You know, I want to be so good at it, but I can't, don't have the time to spend and it's a very humbling game. It's a great game to teach the mentality that you need to be to be successful and stay in the moment and be present. So there's a lot of things, you know, I can go on and on. That's my Italian heritage. Sometimes I get long winded.
0: You know, I uh I, I just retired from coaching after after forty years and I have to tell you yes. the reason I got out wasn't because I didn't enjoy it, it was that other things in my life became more important like those kids and grandkids. So I I can certainly relate to that. Hey, what's up? What one thing would you like to say to all the young ladies who aspire to play college softball? If you had one thing to tell them, what would you tell them?
1: Um, Well, first thing I would say is um, let the process take care of itself. So be where your feet are, be present, you know, which basically what i'm saying to you is work your tail off control the things you have control over okay your attitude your effort your focus if you can do that every day then i think you will find your niche you'll find where you need to be and more importantly when you get there you're going to be prepared and uh, ready to contribute uh, to a team and one of the greatest things about being part of a team is it's It's relationships that you
0: have for the rest of your life. Well, Mike, thanks so much for your time today. I really enjoyed our conversation and all of your valuable insights into softball and softball coaching. And I certainly wish you and the University of Arizona softball team the very best in the future.
1: Well, thank you very much.
0: I really enjoyed our interview with Mike Candrea, head softball coach at the University of Arizona. Mike had so many great insights to the game of softball, as well as teaching the game to the kids today. A couple of really important things that I I really want to mention here, especially to young coaches. When you're dealing with with young women, Mike suggests that young women need to feel well to play well, and he compared uh, young women to young men, young men need to feel good or they will feel good when they play well. Young women need to feel well to play well. Mike talked about softball recruiting and about letting the process take care of itself. He thinks there's a place for everyone to play. You just have to find the right place. When it came to hitting, Mike's comment on no difference in the swing mechanic from baseball and softball. So many times I've heard different softball instructors talk about well the swings completely different mike certainly doesn't think so and to be honest i i agree with him 100 percent there is absolutely no difference between the baseball and the softball swing however when it comes to the idea of playing the pitch certainly in softball that's not as a high priority as it is in baseball mike talked a little bit about less games and more practice in youth softball, and the importance of some type of coaching certification program. It was really a great interview, and I really enjoyed the time I got to spend with Mike. Well, everybody, thanks so much for listening, and please remember to share the link to this Coach Baseball Right podcast on Facebook and Twitter.